Well, good morning. There was a time a month or so ago when some of us thought maybe we'd be back together worshiping by this weekend. But as the days began to unfold in late March here in Michigan, we realized that getting back to normal was going to take a while. In fact, I'm not sure we'll ever be back to normal. I think normal has changed. And what I'm hoping for now is a return to some of the rhythms and relationships uh, that characterize a local church when it's gathered together. Many of the habits and practices of doing church pre-COVID-19 are gone. And what will be the new normal is yet to unfold. What excites me, though, is the number of people who have been watching online. Thank you for taking time to join us in this ministry. And thank you for continuing to be the church in the places where you are. That is far more important in my mind than us just doing church. I wish you could see what I'm seeing this morning. Instead of preaching to an empty worship center, I have an audience. And it seems that one of our staff found all the puppets in storage and all the cutout characters from the Sunday school rooms and placed them in various seats here in the worship center. It's a great audience. They don't talk back, they don't fall asleep, and they don't leave to go get a cup of coffee while I'm preaching. Uh, they're really an awesome group. Today we're starting a new teaching series called I Believe In. And if you have the ability to download the message notes, I encourage you to do that because we're going to be looking at one of the foundational documents of our faith, the Apostles' Creed. And in just a bit, there will be a part where, for you to join in as we speak together this ancient creed. And interestingly enough, in the midst of this coronavirus pandemic, which is no no longer just an interruption in our lives, but a disruption, uh, this ancient creed has a lot of encouragement for those of us who follow the way of Christ. And so I hope that you'll keep tuned in and be sure to invite others to join us. The message this morning is called Finding a Solid Center. And we're going to be looking at some scripture from the New Testament book of 2 Timothy. And... Uh, Chapter 1. In the New Testament book of 2 Timothy, chapter 1, verse 12, we read these confident words that were written by the Apostle Paul. He said, I know the one in whom I trust, and I am sure that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until the day of his return. Now, in a poem called The Second Coming, written by Irish poet, William Butler Yeats, there is a line that goes like this. Things fall apart. The center cannot hold. This poem is considered by most critics to be one of the great lyrics of the 20th century because it rises out of a period of great difficulty and reduces something that is complex to something quite simple. This poem was first published in 1921 while Great Britain and Europe were reeling from the devastation of World War I, from the Russian Revolution and the so-called Easter Rebellion that had rocked Ireland. The events of recent history 
have shattered the idealism of the late 19th century. And it was a time of great bloodshed. And everywhere it seemed that the innocence of life had been lost. No wonder he felt that things were falling apart and that there was no center that could hold things together. As a global community, we've been through something like that these last few months, the likes of which few of us have ever seen before. The coronavirus has caused a lot of things to fall apart. The stock market, businesses, and the normal routines of people's lives. Let me try to illustrate what's happening in our life with an analogy that at least some of us will be able to relate to. When I was growing up, we didn't have iPods and cell phones and downloadable music or YouTube. We had vinyl records. Vinyl records. They came in 78 RPM, 33 RPM, and 45 RPM. And one of the great mysteries of life to me, for me was why the big records had little holes in the center. And the little records had big holes. My grandparents had one of the first entertainment centers that Magnavox put on the market. And this would have been somewhere around the mid-1960s. This beautiful wood cabinet had a small television on one side and a stereo on the other side. It was the best of both worlds. I remember going to their house on Sundays, and it was a big deal to play a record. In their house, it was all Christian music, like George Beverly Shea, not the stuff that some of you listen to. And most of the records were 33 RPM. But if you wanted to play one of the smaller records, a 45, you had to take an adapter, a fat spindle that came with the stereo system and fit it over the thinner post in the center of the turntable. And without that larger spindle, you could, you could fit the 45 over the smaller post, but it would begin to slide from side to side. The phonograph needle would begin to wobble and the whole thing slid out of place. Here's my point. Whether or not you've ever heard of the poet Yeats or the last few months have, the last few months have taught us an important lesson and that is without a stable center in our life, things can quickly fall apart. This important lesson is a contra in contrast to a letter written by the Apostle Paul to his younger co-worker in the faith, Timothy. And here are some, there are some similarities. Like Yeats, Paul was facing difficult times. He is writing from prison in Rome, and everyone had deserted him except for Luke, the faithful physician. It's a dark and dismal time. He tells Timothy in in uh, chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, he says, As for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. And I have remained faithful. There would be good reason for this to be a depressing letter. 
but instead it reverberates with this bold affirmation. I know the one in whom I trust, and I am sure that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until the day of his return. See, the Apostle Paul had found a center that would hold a central affirmation for his life, which filled him with confidence even when his life was about to end. I wonder where Paul found that center. And how can we develop the kind of faith that can be a solid center for our own souls? Where can we find that kind of confidence for these hard and difficult times? We get a clue in verses 13 and 14 where Paul says, Hold on to the pattern of wholesome teaching teaching that you learned from me, a pattern shaped by the faith and love that you have in Christ Jesus. Through the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within us, carefully guard the precious truth that has been entrusted to you. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 15 through 17, Paul expands on this truth. He says, You have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and it teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Now, if, you're, if you are to find a center that will hold, if we're to stand up here and say, I am a believer, and if we're to be fully equipped for the good life that God intends for us, then we must become, in the words of John Wesley, people of one book. Men and women whose lives are nourished by the scripture, shaped by the written witness to the living word of God. So what does all that have to do with the Apostles' Creed? The Apostles' Creed emerged out of the life and times of the early church. Remember, this was before everyone had a Bible in their home, even before a lot of people could read. The community of faith, what we might call the church today, was of first importance, and the creed grew out of their life together. It was a declaration of their new identity as followers of Jesus Christ in a hostile world. It was how they identified each other as Christ followers. It was a statement of their core beliefs. If you've ever If you've never heard of the the Apostles' Creed or can't remember it, let me remind you of it today. If you do know it, join with me in one voice. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. 
From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, and the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Amen. Now churches generally take one of two positions regarding this creed. Either they recite it every week or they hardly ever say it at all. Redeemer has been more in the second group for a lot of years, but there are many churches where the Apostles' Creed is a regular feature in their worship service. Some of you are from more liturgical backgrounds. Maybe you're from a Catholic upbringing or Episcopal, or you grew up in a more traditional United Methodist Church or Reformed Presbyterian Church, and you're just geeked out of your mind right now. And you're like, can Rod even do this? Is he allowed to do this? I thought we weren't allowed to do the creed. I am so excited to say the Apostles' Creed again. And if you're maybe a modern Baptist or raised in a non-denominational church, then you've likely heard something like, no creed but the Bible. And you're probably concerned about me right now and wondering what in the world the leaders of this church were thinking to even let me preach this series. How could they let him do this? And how do we shut it down? So there's this mixture of excitement and nervousness in the room about the Apostles' Creed. Here's my overall intention for using this creed as a focus for this series of messages. I believe the creed will give us a more robust understanding of the God of the Bible. The creed helps us with clarity. It makes it clear who God is. And the creed informs us as a community of faith. We who belong to, uh, who we belong to, who we are with, especially in these times that we're experiencing now in our world. So maybe you're asking, if we don't recite the creed every week, then why focus on it now? There are three good answers to that question. First, it is the oldest and most widely accepted creed. It is recognized by all branches of Christianity, Protestant, Catholic, and Orthodox. For 2,000 years, the Apostles' Creed has served as a succinct statement of beliefs for the Christian faith. It is the common heritage of Christians everywhere. Secondly, it offers a broad survey of Christian doctrine. It starts with creation and it ends up with eternal life. That's about as broad as you can get. And as we'll see, it is not comprehensive, but everything it covers is important. And so it's a good place to begin to understand the basics of our faith. And then third, the creed offers a radical challenge to the skepticism of this generation. A lot of people in the world doubt that, there can be, that we can be certain about anything. I'm not sure. Those words, I'm not sure, serves as a motto for many, many people. So over against the uncertainty we have in the... Uh, are the first two words in the creed, I believe. 
See, the creed focuses us to take a stand and say, I believe, and that is good for our soul. Now, any creed that dares to call itself an expression of the Christian faith must be grounded in Scripture. If we, have, if we are to have the kind of faith that will equip us for every kind of good deed, if we're to find a solid center that will hold us steady in difficult times, if we are to know the one in whom we believe, then we must read and study and discuss and devour and nourish our souls in the written word of God. Hold firmly, Paul says, to the true words that I've taught you. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, the Apostle Paul also tells Timothy to be strong through the grace that God gives you in Christ Jesus. That sounds like friendship to me. We cannot read this letter without feeling the passion and the intensity of Paul's relationship with Timothy. This letter just overflows with it. Paul writes in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, I thank God for you, the God I serve with a clear conscience, just as my ancestors did. Night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. I long to see you again, for I remember your tears as we parted. And I will be filled with joy when we are together again. When was the last time you wrote a letter like that? How long has it been since you remembered the face of a friend who was so much part of your life, so deeply bound up with your soul that you could not help of thinking of that person day and night? How long has it been since you shared someone else's tears? When, when was the last time you wrapped your arms around a friend and the love of Christ? And if you want to find a center that's going to hold, then practice the gift of friendship. For Christian people, there is no belief that is not shared belief. No theology that is not born out of community. No creed that is not strengthened in friendship. As John Wesley reminded us, there is no holiness that is not social holiness. In my years in ministry, I've seen people in my congregations face some pretty tough times. And while I hate generalizations, I have become convinced as I have seen them in these difficult moments that there are really just two kinds of people in this world, those who discover the power of friendship and those who don't. There are those who open their lives to someone else who allow a friend into the deepest parts of their life and who share themselves in the spirit of Christ. And when tough times come, these are the people who find nourishment and courage and strength and hope in their relationships. With God as their source of love, they reach out to be a blessing to others. But then there are persons who are determined to be self-sufficient, to stand alone. And when difficult times come, that's exactly where they are. They are independent and they are alone. And if they don't have a faith in God, faith is in something larger than themselves, they're often without hope. In John chapter 15, we read how Jesus talks about this connection. He says, be strong through the grace that God gives you in Christ Jesus. Now that sounds a lot like what Jesus said to his disciples on the night before he died, when he told them, remain in me 
and I will remain in you, for a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends, since I have told you everything the Father has told me. See, Paul also reminds Timothy, through the power of the Holy Spirit, who lives within us, carefully guard the precious truth that has been entrusted to you. 2 Timothy 1.14, Paul says, is perhaps thinking back to the day that maybe he laid hands on Timothy and confirmed him in the faith. The way that we often lay hands on the heads of our youth in confirmation or on the heads of those persons whom we are setting aside for a special service in the life and mission of the church. And verses 6 and 7, Paul says, This is why I remind you to fan the flames, to fan into flames the spiritual gift God has given you when I laid my hands on you. For God has not given us a spirit of fear or timidity, but power and love and self-discipline. I learned a long, long time ago that if you have a big hole in the middle of your record, you're going to need that big spindle to fill it. And I have since learned that there is a huge hole in the center of our souls, which can only be filled with the living, loving, life-giving Spirit of God. We try to fill it with all sorts of other things, success, power, prestige, money, sex, influence. It's like a huge internal sinkhole that will swallow up all the puny things we try to stuff into it and leave us empty and dry. But there's only one thing in the universe that was big enough to fill the empty space in our souls, and that is the spirit of the living God. His spirit was given to us at Pentecost. That happened just a short time after Jesus' resurrection. And God's spirit is still alive and present with and among God's people. God's spirit is the spirit of power and of love and of self-control. And when we nourish the presence of the spirit in our lives, then regardless of what happens to us in this life, we are never, ever alone. I will confess to you that there are not any original ideas in this message today. Most of you have heard all of this before, and so had Timothy. And that's why Paul uses the word remember. Over and over again, he encourages Timothy to remember. Most of us need to be reminded more than we need to be informed. And so what I want to remind you of today is what it takes to say, I believe. I want to remind you what it takes to find that solid center in your life. Let me close with a story. In the 19th century, the greatest tightrope walker in the world was a man named Charles Blondin. And on June 30th of 1859, he became the first man in history to walk on a tightrope across Niagara Falls. Over 25,000 people gathered to watch him walk 1,100 feet 
suspended on a tiny rope, 160 feet above the raging waters. He worked without a net or without any safety harness of any kind. The slightest slip would prove fatal. And when he safely reached the Canadian side of the falls, the crowd burst into a mighty roar. In the days that followed, he would walk across the falls many times. Once he walked across on stilts. Another time he took a chair and a stove with him, and he sat down midway across, and he cooked an omelet, and he ate it. Once he even carried his manager across, riding piggyback. And once he pushed a wheelbarrow across with 350 pounds of cement inside of it. On one occasion, he asked the cheering spectators if they thought that he could push a man across, sitting in the wheelbarrow, and a mighty roar of approval rose from the crowd. Spying a man cheering loudly, he asked, Sir, do you think that I could safely carry you across in this wheelbarrow? Yes, of course you could. Get in, the great Blondin replied with a smile, and the man refused. I think the point is clear. It's one thing to believe in a person that they can walk across themselves, but it's another thing to believe that he could carry someone else safely across. And it's something else entirely to get into the wheelbarrow, isn't it? See, believing in Jesus is like getting into the wheelbarrow. It's entrusting all that we are and all that we have to him. It's not the amount of faith that matters. It's the object of our faith that makes all the difference. Faith the size of a mustard seed can move mountains, the scripture says. Weak faith in a strong object matters more than strong faith in a weak object. It's not a matter of how much we believe. It's whether or not we're trusting the Lord Jesus Christ to save us. In verse 12 of this chapter, the Apostle Paul says, I know the one in whom I trust. He doesn't say, I know what I trust, though that would be true. And he doesn't say, I know how much I have trusted, even though that would also be true. He doesn't say, I know when I trusted or why, which he could have said as well. Instead, he says, I know the person into whose hands I have committed my present condition and my eternal destiny. I know who he is, and therefore, without any hesitation, I leave myself in his hands. It is the beginning of the spiritual life to believe in Jesus Christ. Now, if you're trying to keep your own soul Together, you're going to be in serious trouble, and you're going, to root, uh, you're going to be rudely surprised one day, because we cannot keep ourselves safe. Our only hope is to entrust all that we are to Jesus, lay it all at his feet, and we will be safe. One final word. 
The Apostles' Creed begins with the words, I believe. Why doesn't it say we believe? And I think the answer is simple. This true belief is always personal. I can't believe for you, and you can't believe for me. No wife can believe for her husband, and parents can't believe for their children. You must make up your own mind. You can't live on the faith of those around you. See, the church is more than a gathering of people or a collection of Christians. At its heart, the church is a community of believers who are joined together by their common faith in Jesus Christ. That's why the church for 2,000 years has affirmed the Apostles' Creed. It expresses our common faith in Christ. True belief is utterly personal. This creed begins with two simple words, I believe. Do you? No one can sit on the fence forever. In Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, the Apostle Paul tells us, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Verse 10 is huge. He says, For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it is by confessing with your mouth that you are saved. A Christian is a person who truly believes in Jesus. Do you? Eternity hangs on your answer. Let's pray. Father, again, I thank you for every person listening to this message today. All we've done today is we've talked about you, we've sung about you, we've considered you, and we're going to respond to you. We pray over the course of the next few weeks that you would help form us with greater symmetry, that we would see things we weren't dialed into before, and it would make us grow and grow in strength and root us in depth. We also pray today for clarity. There are some misunderstandings about who you are and what you're like. The culture is telling us one story, the Bible telling us another. And I pray that you would bring clarity to the greater story. When you grow our confidence in you, you have cr created a people who have spanned throughout history. You protect, you, you, uh, would you just protect us today from a type of weak, weak progressivism that believes that human history is always getting better and just root us deeply in your plan for us. Help us as we seek to counsel ourselves and to counsel others. Father, some of us sit here week in and week out across these campus, uh, these two campuses, but we're verbally and emotionally abusive, maybe to our spouse or our children. Perhaps we're addicted, uh, currently flirting with or not fully engaged uh, with people in our life. Father, I pray that the word of God might be reflected out of this creed as we study it together. And that you would help us to run from any sin and every sin in our life and run to you. Help us. We need you. And it's 
In your name we pray. Amen.